courage, determination, unselfishness, and cheerfulness in the face of adversity. Now those four things, if you can employ them and put them into everything that you do, then, then anything is possible. My name is Aldo Kane. I'm a former Royal Marine Commando and I now run a company operating in extreme, remote and hostile locations around the world. So I grew up uh, on a housing estate, which is, you know, in a cul-de-sac um, down at the end of a road, which is um, probably how the majority of people are actually brought up in, in the UK, you know, uh, working class. Um, and, uh, you know, I had a very outdoor lifestyle. I was born um, near Glasgow, but live on the west coast of Scotland, so down you know, near the sea, just across from Northern Ireland. Um, so my upbringing was, was, as far as I know, fairly standard and normal. When I was very young, um, I joined the uh, the Beavers, which is like Beavers Cub Scouts, um, like Boy Scouts in America, Boy Scouts of America, but it was all one organisation. Um, and it was joining them at a very young age, which gave me a glimpse into the outdoors and how you can not just survive, but thrive outdoors. Um, and so my twin and I spent years, before I joined the Marines, we spent years going away camping, hiking, learning how to navigate, how to live off the land. Um, and so for me, the Boy Scouts were like a fundamental part of, of my childhood and growing up. And fast forward from there, 10, 15 years, I'm then, you know, an elite Royal Marine Commando sniper operating in uh, the Middle East, and uh, you know, using the skills that I learned in the Scouts. I was not academic um, at all uh, at school. The scouts helped me get outdoors and stay outdoors. I didn't play computer games, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't an indoor kid. And the more that you did that, the more that I did that, the more I realised I didn't want to have a normal job. And so I got to the point where I was looking at what jobs I could do and would want to do in, in the military seemed to offer this lifestyle of, of being outside, adventurous, boys own sort of adventure and that's what I was in the scouts for, that's what I was in the cadets for. Um, and so I went to the careers office up in Glasgow and um, you've got like the Navy, the Air Force, the Army um, and I went into the Naval one and, and there was a Marine in there, a Royal Marine in there, commando and uh, he basically said look there's no point going to the rest of them. We're the best. And then for the next two years, I was like focused. I was joining the Marines, regardless of what my parents thought and regardless of what anyone thought. The Green Berry is, is like the coveted um, headdress of the Royal Marine Commandos. It's, it's renowned and revered throughout the world. Um, and the first time I actually saw one was, was at a cadet camp an air cadet camp up in Scotland, North Scotland, and this helicopter pilot sort of 
swagger to the front of the queue that I was in and, and he put it down on the desk he was buying something and I remember just seeing it and just being like that looks beautiful like the black anodized globe and laurel badge on it and the green berry and like I just thought that is that's what I'm going to have basically wanted to join the Marines from like 13 or 14 I by the time it came to joining up, like I knew inside out what training was, what was happening in what week, and the only bit that I didn't know was whether my body would be physically strong enough to complete it. You know, my head was, my head game was good. I, you know, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, and it's the longest infantry training in the world. It's 30 odd weeks, very intense. You know, the, there's very hardly any days off through the whole process. And every week is, is like a culling phase, you know, getting rid of dead wood in, in the troop. So out of maybe 50 people that join, 50 men that join, um, then at the end of it there might be seven or eight that finish it. Joining at 16, your, my bones weren't fully developed and my body wasn't fully developed. I was essentially still a boy. I knew that it was going to be tough and I knew that that wouldn't last forever. You know, there wouldn't be people staying in the Marines for 10, 15, 20 years if it was as hard as it was every single day in training. You just couldn't last that long. It was the first part of my life where I started to realise that you can literally become what you think about. You can, you can, you can have what you want as long as you know what it is that you want. And I think a lot of my friends at school they just didn't know what they wanted to do. You know, they, you know, they're going to prolong it a bit more, do, do A levels or hires, and then they go to university. Still don't really know what they want to do. Choose a course that they're not that interested in. Come out 23, 24, still not know what they're going to do. Dodge around a few jobs. You know, by the time I was 26, I'd done 10 years as an elite soldier. Um, you know, I and, and that, you know, I just shortcutted that whole 10 years of messing around by knowing exactly what it was that I wanted to do and then breaking that down and, and that's really you know my life up till now has been based on those fundamental points of you know you can have anything and be anything and do anything that you want you just have to know what that thing is. You know the Royal Marines training is hard physically you get smashed every day you know relentlessly for the entire time that you're there um, but as, as a young man, you're fairly robust, you're fairly um, resilient to that sort of training. Um, if your mindset is good, you know, of 50 people that start, let's say 10 finish, not all of those 40 that don't make it have physical injuries. You know, the majority of those probably just don't have the minerals to finish the course. the why isn't big enough, then you'll never have the drive, the determination to get out of bed early and, and finish that thing. And so let's say I just say, I'm going to join the Marines, there's nothing else going on, like my apprenticeship's finished, and you get down there and you're in week 10 and you're getting smashed and you're, you know, cold, wet, hungry, tired. Then it's very easy to just stick your hand up and say, I'm sacking it off. Whereas if that's all you've wanted to do and that is your end state is to get there then like for me in those hard times I was in my absolute element I was living my dream I, I like I it's hard to explain it but I I had this like 
the fire inside my stomach that I was doing the thing that I wanted to do and it, it was such an amazing feeling and, and I feel lucky that that I found that early on because it shaped the rest of my life. You know, for me, what I took away from that was not all the hardcore skills of being able to shoot from a long distance and being able to run miles and miles and not feel tired. What I took away from it was the soft skills um, and they call it the commando spirit and that's courage, determination, unselfishness and cheerfulness in the face of adversity. Now those four things, if you can employ them and put them into everything that you do, then, then anything is possible. When I was in the Marines, I joined Recce and then I'd done my sniper course. Um, the Royal Marine sniper course is one of the hardest sniper courses in the world to pass. Um, has lots of different, it's not just about pulling the trigger and, or sneaking about, you know, there's so many different um, sections of being a sniper that, that make you more of an elite soldier, effectively. Um, and so by the time I did that selection past that course, I was 20 or 21. So I would have been one of the youngest trained snipers in the, you know, in the Royal Marines at that time. And that was, again, come down to me knowing what I wanted. And, and instead of waiting five or six years, you know, until I was ready, I thought, why don't I just go and do it? And if I fail it, at least I'll know what I failed on and then I can improve on that. And then I can, you know, and then I'll go back and do it again. But I actually passed first time. Um, so yeah, and, and that required you know a lot of focus, a lot of training, and a lot of I suppose mental fortitude. I think to become a sniper, you need to you know there, there's two parts of it. There's all the practical parts, which are um, you know field craft basically, um, and you have to be very good at operating on your own. Um, and then the second part is is more your personality and your personality traits. Are you happy and confident operating on your own? You don't need another 30 guys behind you. Do you have the courage in your own convictions about making decisions? What I love about it is the fact that you live by and die by your own sword. It's very easy in a group of people in any walk of life to hide and to blame other people when things go wrong and the shit hits the fan. As a sniper, as if you're working in you or, or your sniper pair, you are effectively responsible for your own life and lots of others and, and you know there's nowhere to hide. And I quite like that stripped bear, you know, this is the nuts and bolts of life and, and this is, you know and it's how I it's how I work and operate now, you know, I I love the fact that I'm responsible both for being successful or unsuccessful. If the why isn't big enough or strong enough, then you'll never get out of bed in the morning. You'll never, you know, get up when things are hard. But with courage, determination, unselfishness, cheerfulness in the face of adversity, which is like the commando spirit, you can almost achieve anything. One of the big things that I, I think that people are anxious about is fear of the unknown and thinking, is this it? Is this all I've got? Is this what I'm doing with my life? If you're lucky enough to be that 
um, introspective and thinking about yourself and your life because most people are too busy with the minutiae of everyday life that they don't give tomorrow and the next week and the next month a second thought. If you're in that position to think about the future, then you're one of the minority and then if, if you're able to think about the future and shape it, then, then you're in the top one, two, three percent of people on earth um, and that is, is quite a powerful place to be. By this time, I've already been to Iraq, I've already been fighting in war, I've already realised that time is more valuable than money. I've realised that, you know, you can earn as much money as you want. You know, it comes and goes daily, monthly, weekly, whatever. You know, when you're up, you're eventually going to be back down. Um, but time doesn't, that's just gone. Um, and, you know, if you are privileged enough to get to old age, um, then, then that's one of the best things that, that can, you know, physically happen to you. Um, and so, so for me, when I went offshore, it was very much about using, you know, I was sacrificing two weeks of my life to then have two or three weeks off, which I could then use effectively into reshaping, retraining and, and regrouping on what I valued and what I felt was important and which direction I wanted to go in life. And when you're offshore, it gives you opportunity to reflect because there's a lot of time when you're not working. And it gives you a lot of time to reflect and to, to plan. If, if you're of that mindset, there's also, you could easily blink and you've done 20 years in the offshore industry, which means you've spent 10 years on an oil rig. Which to me was, you know, it's not what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I wanted to use it as a leg up to then use the time to eventually get the qualifications and the experience that I needed to do the job that I do now. And when you look back, when I look back, like the, the, the dots join perfectly, mm. like it's, it's 2020 perfect. I was selling gas and electricity. It was a really horrible time. You know, I'd left the Marines. And I didn't leave the Marines because it ran its course or anything. I left the Marines because I was, like, at the top of my game. And it's the hardest, the easiest thing to do for me would have been to stay in and see out my 22 years. That was easy. The hard thing to do is leave something when you're very good at it because you, you know, it's completely unknown. It's very easy to stay in that one in that rut and I didn't want to be in that rut. You know, I'd, I'd done as much as I thought I could do in the military, I'd gained as much experience. I just knew there was something niggling me that there was something that I wanted to do uh, that was, that was um, I don't know, that there was just something that was niggling at me that made me want to sort of put my notes in and leave. Um, I then had this transition period of coming from being one of the most elite fighting soldiers on the planet to no one. To just not having any backup, you know, I was, I was just this guy who was out in the pot with everyone else looking for work. And so I, I took on this job of 
being a gas and electricity sales. And so I did that for two or three months and I, you know, it was utterly soul destroying. But at that point, I still hadn't connected the dots with, you know, I just decided that I wanted to join the Marines. I decided I wanted to be a sniper. I decided that I wanted to be in recce. I did all these things, but I hadn't really fully grasped that everything was in my control. I wouldn't have a plan, you become part of someone else's, and that's exactly what was happening. In the book, I talk about Acres of Diamonds, and it's an old fable about a farmer who, um, who's you know, looking to find diamonds. He's got a stretch of land, and he's essentially thinks he's exhausted it, sells it, moves on. And the next guy who comes in, you know, digs and just spends hard work, hard graft, and he finds this rich seam of diamonds in his own backyard. We often look, you know, as a human race, we're looking at what's next and, you know, adventurous spirit and let's go outside, let's go here, let's go there. And we're looking and chasing this thing which is never there. And, um, and, and essentially what it means is, like, for me, was look at what you've got, look at what you're good at, and how can you turn that into service to then help other people? Um, you know, everyone's looking outwards and at everything they can go and get and have and, and actually what I needed to do was look at what I was good at, what skills I had and what I could then offer as a service, um, you know, to, to, you know, by becoming valuable to people in industry, um, you know, that's, that's the way you become successful. If something's easy to do, it's easy not to do. It's easy to eat an apple a day. It's also easy not to. I think we live in an age now where people want instant gratification. You know, they want something now. You know, the internet's fast, 5G's fast. Everything's like now, now, now. You order something online, it's here the next day, all the same day. You know, delayed gratification, you know, you, you're, is, is the art or the discipline of postponing something kicking it down the street a bit so that you have something bigger, better, longer, stronger, whatever that thing is. Um, and that comes down to process and graft. Like we talk about finding your passion and there's no promise at the end of it, but if you can block out the noise, like if I'm sat looking at everyone else that does my type of work and looking at them and worrying and social media, I'm not putting in 100% into what I'm doing because I'm paying attention to what they're doing. You'll find that successful people don't care what's happening round about them. They don't care. They're not in competition with anyone potentially other than themselves or they just want to make an exceptional product or offer that service to the masses. And when you start to do that and block out the noise, it's amazing what you can actually achieve um, and controlling the controllables, controlling what you actually have dominion over. It's quite a small thing, but control that. You control your mind. You can control what's in your immediate vicinity, but you can't control the weather. You can't control what other people are doing and you can't control what other people think. So stop trying to. We become what we think about. It's just as simple as that. And if you're not thinking about anything or if you're thinking shit thoughts, then that will be your life. You know, everyone is exactly where they are in life because of the decisions they have or haven't made. 
uh, sounds quite callous because lots of external things can happen to someone, but we always have options. Like people generally, especially where we live, we know we're very privileged where we, we live in the Western world where, you know, we have all of the mod cons. Um, you know, we, we have the privilege of, of making decisions um, and following them through. So, you know, I, I think the biggest, the biggest thing that I can see looking back is that I knew where I wanted, what I wanted to be and what I wanted to do, and I just worked hard to get there. The things that you focus on and spend your time on and process and graft, then you'll get there. That's, that's the bottom line. Like, there's no magic formula, there's nothing else. Like, what you think about and what dominates your thought process from when you get up in the morning to when you go to bed will become your reality. The military part of my life is, you know, I, I owe almost everything to it because it's given me the confidence and the ethos and the courage of my own convictions to, to do what I want to do now. Um, you know, it certainly doesn't, the military part doesn't mean I'm any better, you know, at anything than anyone else, but I think in my own head and confidence, you know, I, I know that I passed one of the hardest infantry training in the world at the age of 16. That means, you know, in my head I have this confidence that, you know, I can, I can do most things, you know, I, I just haven't been taught most of them. Or, you know, if someone teaches me something, then I'm, I'm very focused and dialed on learning that thing. Um, but the thing that made me join the Scouts was adventure. The thing that made me join the Marines was adventure. And then after I left and I started messing around and went offshore, I then started to formulate this idea that I would then work in the outdoors. Not as an outdoors instructor, because there's too many people doing that and, and you're very qualified and it's not well paid. And, and also, it, so it didn't give me that, you know, I didn't want to be taking groups out on the hill. And, you know, I, I led a lot of expeditions in South America and all over the place with, with young adults. And it just, like, I didn't quite know television existed yet, but all these parts were starting to like slot together. I had all my training, that was ready. I was like ready for whatever job came my way. Um, I'd spent all that time offshore getting ready for that. I um, had the confidence of my background in the military, so that was all done and dusted. And then someone asked me if I could get a film crew inside an active volcano for a TV program, and I was just like, Yes, I can do that. And, and then it just like the penny dropped. I was ready. I didn't know what I was preparing for, but when that job opportunity came along, it then suddenly clicked. Everything clicked into place from scouts right the way through, like over that 15 years to taking that job. When you're, when you're too busy with the minutiae of everyday life, three kids, you know, your job, 12-hour shifts, blah, blah, like you don't have time to stick your head above the parapet and think about tomorrow, never mind next week, never mind next year. Um, but that's what the offshore part of it gave me, was that time to then work out this plan. And, and so when I eventually got to doing that job in a volcano, it was like 
all of this just went doo -doo 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 and into position. And then it, it was just like, fine. So I went to Congo, got a BBC film crew inside one of the most active volcanoes in Africa, biggest lava lake on earth, epic, epic sort of environment to be in. And it used every ounce of my skill set to get the crew in and out safely. And then I sort of came back and had a couple of weeks off and, and just like, I was like, this is amazing. Because I, I never watched television. And to be honest, it never crossed my mind that television was a, you know, an industry that, that you could work in. Um, and so it just, and it was right at the time when Adventure TV was picking up and, and getting busy. And, and so it, with all the preparation and things I was doing, it just, I was perfectly placed at that time to, to get stuck into it. And, and, and I'm not saying that I'm, you know, there are a million people out there better qualified than me in cave diving, than skydiving, in climbing, and all these things. But, you know, my main focus is more of a, like, step back. I have a jack-of-all-trades basic understanding of these adventurous activities, um, but I also have a more holistic approach to looking after people and crews and making sure that they're safe in these extreme environments. You know, my job really is, is, you know, with you guys, it's with the crew, it's everyone working together to get this end product. Um, and whether that's in jungles or up in the high mountains of the Himalayas or way down in a cave system, you know, where, wherever it is on Earth or dealing with narcos in, in the jungles of South America, um, it's the same. It's about can-do attitude and, and looking after people. And, and it, it goes back to what I was thinking about Acres of Diamonds. It's like, what service can I provide someone else, you know, by adding value to someone else or something else? And it's like, enlightened self-interest. You know, I get to do all these cool jobs. I get to gob off about it on social media and have cool pictures with cool people in cool places. But really, you know, you're helping other people achieve their goals and achieve their um, ambitions. And that, you know, that's quite important. I've worked a lot with investigative journalists so during the Ebola outbreak in West Africa um, which I talk about in the book or chasing down um, tiger traffickers in Southeast Asia or, or doing the narco stuff in South America um, and these guys using the medium of, of film and journalism you know have have so you know they're giving a voice to for example tigers that that don't have a voice you know and they're being slaughtered at a rapid rate of knots um, for for luxury goods, so you know if you if you can find a way of telling that story and telling it effectively by you know film, then you know I, you have much more reach than you do any other way. I think. And it got to the point where I'd done a lot of stuff in the military and, um, and wanted to give something back in a way that 
you know, to, to for example, animals that don't have that voice and to be able to train anti-poaching units. And um, I was down in South Africa doing that for a while. And, um, and the more I was doing that, and I'd been working in television a while, I thought there's, there's opportunity here to tell stories of, you know, of, for example, trafficking. Um, and that's how I got involved with uh, doing the Tiger film. That was a BBC investigation into um, tiger trafficking. But, but it was much more about using my skills. Again, what, what can I do with my skills that, that provides a service to someone else? So um, we were helping the EIA, Environmental Investigation Agency, with some of their um, operations and investigations. So it's, yeah, it's, about, it's about, again, not what can I get out of this, but what can I give? And I always find that's a more useful way of approaching situations is what can I do, what can I give, how can I help? You're in the military, you, do, you have purpose and passion, and I would say 90% of people in the military, certainly speaking from in the Marines, have um, you know, th th this passion and, and fire in their belly. And then they leave and then that's gone. And it's a very slippery slope, like you're standing on top of a sand pit there um, and about to end up going, you know, falling down into it and not being able to get your way back out of it because of passion and purpose. You know, if the why isn't big enough, then you don't have the drive, you won't get out of bed in the morning. And that's why when I go to schools and I speak to kids and they're like, I want to be a YouTuber, you know, I want to be famous, I want to be an influencer. And you dig down, you're like, why do you want that? And they don't know. Uh, what are you going to talk about? You can't just be on YouTube, like, sat in your bedroom with someone pointing a camera at you. Like, what are you going to, what are you going to talk about? So for me, it's about finding that passion. There's a, there's a bit for everyone, but you have to know what that passion is. You have to, or... or you have to know what that thing is that you want to be interested in. Um, and I think, you know, for me, I've always had a passion for adventure and an adventurous life, and it's always led me to make decisions based on that. Probably would do better by finding what actually floats their boat, not just they want to be famous for whatever reason. One of the biggest anxieties that people have is fear of the unknown or, you know, just just general anxiety about thinking that everything's falling apart, life's bad, you know, and, and it's, you know, it's very common. It makes such a difference to write problems down, physically, pen, paper, and write it down. And when you see that on a piece of paper, it then becomes quite easy, or, or working down. This, I feel scared because of this, and then the exercises to then write underneath that, and then this will happen, and then this will, and you work it down to the nth degree. You know, when you wake up at three o'clock in the morning and your entire life is falling apart and you, you, that little voice inside your head is just telling you that, you know, that, that everything's a mess and, and worrying about everything, then in the morning it doesn't seem as bad, right? So the biggest thing that you can do with that is 
control the controllables. It's, it's a simple thing. Is you can't control all of these other things, and often, what's worse is you're making your judgments and opinions on other people's opinions. Um, you know, which is other people's judgments, which is just mental. Never compare your inside to someone else's outside because that's, everyone's everyone's different. Control what you you have in your dominion, which is your thoughts, um, and get outside and exercise. It's, it's amazing what that does for you. Um, even if you know you've never done it in your life before, get outside. You know, go for a walk, do five meters today, ten, twenty, a hundred, five miles, ten miles. The main biggest thing that people can do is take action, because in a year's time you're going to wish you started today. Everything that I do is balanced um, risk and hazard and, and likelihood. Right? You know, when I when I go inside an active volcano, I know that I could die in there. I know that, but what I do is I mitigate as many of those hazards as possible. You know, wearing hard hats, going in at the right time with the right crew, doing the right thing, not pushing it. Like we mitigate as many of them as possible. But if the volcano decides to erupt in there, then you'll die. Right? That's that's like big boy stakes and the same with the row the stakes were high um, you know a capsize and coming out the boat is death and probably a slow one because you'll be separated and float and eventually drown um, so it's the stakes are high but it's also testing you you mentally and physically testing me mentally and physically and that's what I enjoy I enjoy those high stakes but it's not about taking risks it's about controlling hazards you know it's about controlling them and controlling the risk of things happening and being as prepared as you can be for me personally it's it's it's, it's an internal thing of testing myself against the environment and testing my my thought process you know i talk a lot on social media about you know having a strong mindset but i am often asking myself when was the last time i was really tested when was the last time I really put myself through the ringer instead of just talking about being resilient and talking about being you know having mental fortitude or having courage or determination in the Marines you would say don't tell show and that, that that's one thing that lots of leaders and managers don't do is like lead from the front and show people how to do things don't tell them how to do things um, so for me that's always been a you know I like to test and keep myself current and also by pitting yourself against the environment, you realise how small and insignificant you are, and I find that truly motivating. You can go down a you can go down a wormhole of social media and think everyone's got a better life than you, and you know it's it's very easy to just see the glossy side that, that people portray there. But you know the the other side, the flip side of a job and my lifestyle is that you know home life is can often be chaotic. Um, and, and bouncing from one job to another and you know missing my son's birth and risk you know people might think that I'm a risk taker um, but I'm not you know I'm, I control risk I control hazards I control all of these things so I'm more of a control freak than I am a risk taker I'm very cautious so I don't think my outlook and my the way that I operate will change decision making is one of the biggest things that people can do even if it's the wrong decision make a decision follow it through and it often opens another door that that wasn't available 
you know, before by, by sitting doing your normal stuff every day, you know, to change your life and to change what you're doing, you must change something. If you do the same thing every day, you're not, nothing's going to change, the outcome isn't going to change. As soon as you go down the route of thinking you know everything, ego, etc., then you're, you're, you know, or building the walls to protect yourself is keeping ideas and things and people out. The biggest obstacles that we stumble across are probably ourselves and what the, the one, the language that we use and the words that we use to talk ourselves out of things. And you'll find that successful people are very good at talking themselves up. Um, so I think one of the biggest obstacles for, for achieving anything is probably ourselves and that nagging voice that's, that tells you you're not good enough. You know, certainly when you come from, you know, I didn't come from a back, bad background, but I came from a background where nothing much is expected of anyone. Um, and it's quite easy to drop back into that um, into that thought process. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm strict with myself and I'm, I'm forgiving with other people. Ego in my line of work will get you killed, right? That's the bottom line. Um, and so, again, the old adage of don't tell people how good you are. Don't tell people what you can and can't do. Show people and do it quietly. Get on with the thing that you want to be doing. Get on with it quietly um, and become very good at it and become exceptional at it. And one day people will think, well, it's all right for him or her because they're lucky because they got there. But, you know, everything, process, graft, knowing what it is that you want to achieve and just putting in the hard yards to get there. Process and graft are the two things that people don't see. They look at successful people and think it's all right for them, but actually what they forget is they've had 12, 15, however many years of just doing the basics and doing the basics well.